Hello and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. Legend of Korra edition. That's what we said before, right? I think so. I think, I think so. so. Sure. <laughs> Legend of Korra edition. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello. And we are excited to talk about today's episode, which is going to be out of the past where some stuff happens. Mm-hmm. We're getting a little spicy with the plot here. Mm-hmm. Seeing some old friends. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. old friends. Honestly, that's the best part. Yes. Of the episode, Agreed. in my opinion, but we'll Me get too. to it. First, we have some five-star reviews to go over. Yes, the first one's very lengthy, so everyone just buckle up. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for the length of this. This one's from Ray Guns with a Z, 101. And they write, great podcast, loving it so far. Wow, that took forever. That took forever, I'm so sorry. I, I <laughs> told myself I was going to practice it and speed it up. Uh-huh. And it just took way too long. It just lingered for a little bit too too long. Thank you so much, Ray Thank Guns. you. <laughs> it's been so long. And our next review comes from Jasmine T. Lover, which I read that. And I'm wondering if that's specifically an Avatar reference, because we all know our favorite character, Iroh, mm-hmm. loves tea. Mm-hmm. Jasmine writes, best period, pod period, ever, period. Hey, Acorn and Greg. I guess I would consider myself a new listener to the pod, but I cannot go to sleep without listening to it. You guys are so good at breaking down the episodes and it makes my love for the show much deeper. So keep it short. Oh, to keep it short, I think. This pod is amazing. It was pretty tough, but I ended up catching up to the pod in about a week. Wow. Whoa. I always come back for every episode, just like Sokka's Boomerang. Oh, I miss his Boomerang. I know. Well, we get a we get a reference in today's episode. I usually don't write reviews, but just Lynn Sinin to oh, it. Oh, I like that yep, one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Listening to it made me want to write a review. This podcast is definitely one of my top tens. In ah! before I end my review, I have my top five characters from Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Number one, Appa. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Number two, Iroh. Number three, the cabbage merchant. And in parentheses, Jasmine added, I would put a cabbage, but he lost them. Ah, number four, Bolin. And number five, Naga. And each of those characters have their own emojis. We have the down arrow for Appa. We have the tea, a uh, cup of tea for Iroh. We have the earth for Bolin. And we have a snowflake for Naga. Mm-hmm. Jasmine wraps up the review saying, that's all for my review. I love you guys. Oh, I love you. you. We love you. Thank you, Jasmine, for leaving that five-star review. It's also kind of wild. Once again, we talked about this before, that people actually go to sleep listening to our voices. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Blows my mind. Wild. (laughs) We've also recently been getting a lot of um, listeners' uh, Spotify rap results. Oh, yeah. Which has also been mind-blowing because there are so many of you who listen to the podcast so much. The minutes listened to are kind of crazy. So we appreciate so much the fact that you love the podcast and you listen to it sometimes multiple times and that you're there to support us. It means the world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that we did take that bit of a break because of current events and the fact that listenership didn't fall at all that was i was blown away i thought for sure we'd be recording and i would look at all of our stats and the very high official stats and i'd be like no one's listening anymore we're at zero Mm -hmm. listeners but everyone's stuck by and we even have more new friends over on 
um, the podcast feed and over on YouTube and in both of our streams as well. So mm-hmm. it's been wonderful. It has been. Yeah. You all are the best. The best. Better than all the rest, some might say. Yes. With those reviews, though, we are ready to dive into today's episode, which was written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, of course, mm-hmm. directed by Joaquin Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu. And today's episode, like I said, was out of the past, or as we like to call it, Law and Order SBU. That's right. That's Special Benders Unit. I love it. Oh, that's all. Stop. <laughs> this is not your stream, Greg. Don't sing songs. Got it. On it. Today's episode opens on a shadowy cabin basement where a metal box sits under a light. The door to the basement opens to reveal Cora and Tarlock. Tarlock uses bloodbending to carry a struggling Cora down the stairs. He places her inside the box, which is metal, and seals it shut without a word. Leaving her in the basement, he returns to his Satomobile and drives back through the mountains to Republic City. So we're in a very remote location. We saw in the last episode that Cora went to confront Tarlock in City Hall. Uh, He surprised her by showing that he's a bloodbender. And now he has completely kidnapped her and brought her to a remote cabin in the middle of the mountains outside of Republic City. And it looks like all is lost because she is not a metal bender and she's been stuck in a metal box in the middle of nowhere. So that's kind of a kind of a serious situation for our main character to be in. And his mastery of bloodbending as well. Like, uh-huh. I, I feel like he's a much more powerful bloodbender than Hama was. Yes. Like, I feel like when Hama went to bloodbend Katara, there was much more movements and much more of a struggle on her end. Now, could that be age? Maybe. Could it be like she invented it so she's not perfected the ins and outs? Maybe. Uh, also, she's mm-hmm. limited to when she can practice it because she could only practice during a full moon. And we're yeah. learning that Tarlock does not have that limitation. Uh, but he it's seems seriously so. Yeah. So it's very interesting that he's very, he's able to levitate her using her blood. And it's so even and so smooth of an animation there. It's yep. haunting. Yep. It's a bit concerning because mm-hmm. someone with that amount of control and uh, skill, we so far haven't seen any counter to bloodbending. Yeah. Bloodbending is like the checkmate move in the bending world. You get bloodbent and that's it. Like mm-hmm. you're under the person's control for as long as they are able to like enact it. So this is kind of serious to see how good at bloodbending Tarlock really is. The next morning, Milo, Tenzin, and Pema are woken by the telephone ringing. Milo, adorably, answers the call and crossly tells the caller the hour of the morning and states that the disturbance better be important. You know what time it is? You have any idea what time it is? Sleeping in his parents' bed. Yeah. (laughs) Tenzin takes the phone from his son and is soon horrified when he hears the news. He travels to City Hall where he finds Tarlock receiving medical attention while a team of investigators capture the destruction and clues left behind. Tenzin questions Tarlock about what happened, and Tarlock spins a false story where Cora was captured by the Equalists when she came to City Hall to demand Tarlock release her friends. And of course, as we as he speaks, we see the real events that happened, including Tarlock placing Equalist objects around the scene, purposefully electrocuting himself, which gives himself the wound on his arm. 
And Tarlock turns to Chief Sycon and tells him to mobilize the entire police force in order to find the missing avatar. It's really in this scene and a little bit later as well, where you see how good of a performer Tarlock is. Yes. He's very convincing. And even so, like parts of his voice, and this is all deep Bradley Baker's performance, it's very soft and very still caring somehow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just like, you know, yeah, she confronted me, but, you know, they came out of nowhere and they took her and I I tried and I couldn't. And you you almost feel bad for him, if not for the overlaid (laughs) footage of him doing everything and like blatantly lying. It's a very well-crafted scene. I really enjoyed it. And it helps give like, more context to his character and how he was able to get into the position politically that he's in because he lies so seamlessly and so convincingly. It makes you wonder, like, what else has he lied about in his rise to power? I mean, he's a politician, so everything. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Elsewhere in the city, Lynn Beifong hears a special radio report about the supposed equalist attack on City Hall. The reporter announces that Tarlock was injured and the Avatar captured. Lynn gets out of her hospital bed and puts on her metal bender armor, but removes her police force chief badge. Swinging a coat over it all, she leaves for police headquarters. And I just want to pause here and say, there was this really cool cut where it shows her putting on her armor, putting on the cloak, and then it cuts to the statue of her mother, Toph. And I like the subtext there where it's kind of showing that she's going to do, Lynn's going to do whatever she needs to do, whatever's necessary to complete the mission, to find the Avatar. Very similarly to the way that Toph did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Those Beifongs. Those Beifongs. They carve their own path. (laughs) Yep. At the police headquarters, Lynn frees Asami, Mako, and Bolin from their cells. Lynn updates them on Korra's capture to their collective horror, and Mako is especially concerned. The group leaves together, determined to rescue the Avatar. Back in the mountains, Korra desperately tries to break out of her metal box prison. She finally slumps to the ground, exhausted, and remembers Tenzin's words about meditating on the visions she's been having of Aang. She assumes a meditative position and slips into another vision, this time of Toph and Aang as adults in Republic City. In the vision, Toph encounters Aang on the street and tells him with mild annoyance that she and her metal bedding officers have the situation under control. Aang replies that he's worried by the statements of recent witnesses, because if what they say is true, the city isn't dealing with a normal criminal, and this necessitates his involvement. Toph sighs and affectionately says, follow me, Twinkle Toes. Aang asks if her using his childhood nickname is really necessary because he's 40 years old, and she basically says, yes, yes, it's necessary. Toph, I'm a grown man. Can you stop calling me that? (laughs) No, I can't. Afraid not. Um, two voice acting notes on this one. Ooh, yes. They, so they did recast the older gang, which uh-huh. was interesting, I felt, uh, because I feel like their voices probably could have been used here, like Mikhail Jill Murphy. I know, they would them. have aged to yep. a comparable... Compa- like, they could have, to a point where they, yeah, they could have just, yeah. like, you know, performed it. But anyways, uh, Aang is voiced by D.B. Sweeney, um, uh-huh. who is... If you're like old like us or older, then you know who this guy is. Um, he was in a couple episodes of Two and a Half Men. He was in the movie Taken Two. He was in um, the show Jericho, Life as We Know It, the movie Fire in the Sky, 
the cutting edge is how I know him. Mm. The cutting okay. edge was a uh, not great movie about a hockey player who can't play hockey anymore. I don't remember why. I think it was because he was too renegade. So he try, tries figure skating and falls in love with the figure skater. And he's too rough and gruff, but she's like too, I don't know, figure skatery. Yeah. <laughs> and then they learn to love each other. It's like one of those kind of movies. Okay. Yes. I think I've, I've watched that plot before. It may yes. have even been that movie. Probably that movie. Toph is voiced by Kate Higgins, who is, unbeknownst to me, another anime voice actor royalty. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she's the voice of Sailor Mercury from Sailor Moon. Oh, wow. She was in Initial D as Natalie. The Naruto series, she played Sakura in Tales of Vesperia, which is a video game. She played uh, Sodia. Wow. Sylph and Chroma. She was in Wolverine in the X-Men as Wanda Maximoff, who we all know is the uh, Scarlet Witch. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She was in Bleach as uh, Karen Kurosaki Nano and like a whole bunch of other characters and Digimon Adventure as Katomon. So Those like, are huge these, roles. These are a small sampling. Like her IMDb page went on forever. And it got wow. to a point where I was sometimes with like with like DB Sweeney, his goes on for a little bit, but like what he's been in and what you might know is a little uh, yeah. more specific versus hers, where it's like, what do I where do I even start? Yeah. Yeah. What's the sampling here? What I is the sampling here? <laughs> yeah. And also Yacone is voiced by Clancy Brown, who oh. we we've heard him before. He was um I can't remember, I always want to call him. Yeah, Long Fang. He was Long Fang. Yes. I get Long Fang mixed up with a Mortal Kombat character now in my brain. I don't know okay. why, just the names. But he voiced Long Fang. He was Mr. Krabs. He's yeah. Lex Luthor in Superman, Superman, the animated series. Like he's been around for a while. He was in Highlander. They actually, wow. in the commentary, Bryke was talking about how they knew they wanted Clancy Brown for Yacone and they mm-hmm. were unsure if they could get him. Because they just forgot that he works at Nickelodeon almost every day. <laughs> so okay. because they were thinking about his performance in Highlander, which I'm ashamed to say it's been a very long time since I've seen. So I don't really remember it. Uh-huh. Um, and it's on my watch list now. But they were like, oh, yeah, like he's so menacing and scary. Like we want Clancy Brown for Yukon. And so they kind of like sheepishly went to whoever at Nickelodeon. They have to ask permission to get actors from. And they were just like, yeah, we can get him. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no deal. problem. No big deal. Okay. And they were like, yeah. what? Brick was like, what? Like, yeah, the, he's in he's in the studio all the time. And they're like, what? Clancy Brown from Highlander? And wow. Like, they're like, yeah. Uh, he's on SpongeBob. <laughs> he's the voice of Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob. He's there every day. No problem. Easiest get you can get. Yeah. So I thought that That's was so, crazy. That was, that was oh really my funny. gosh. I, I had to listen to that a couple of times because I kept on chuckling too much. I think that's so interesting that we have such big names in the flashback with the grown-up gang. Yes. Well, wait till you hear who Sokka is voiced by. Oh, boy. I cannot Mm -hmm. wait. Mm -hmm. Let's go further in the vision. Yes, So we see Aang and Toph meet each other in the street. And so they then go to Kwong's Cuisine, uh, which is the restaurant that Mako and Asami go to. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. So apparently it's been there for a long time. It's a very the established, popular recipe. Yep. Yes. <laughs> they confront Yakone about his alleged crimes. As Yakone is cuffed and led away, he reminds them that he has overcome every charge they brought against him and this time will be no different. 
Cora comes out of the vision surprised and grateful that she was able to connect with Aang, but admits out loud that she's still not sure what he's trying to tell her. Taking another deep breath, she continues to meditate. Back in Republic City, Lin brings the rest of Team Avatar to, t- to see Tenzin. The councilman is shocked to see the chief of police up and about in the teenagers out of prison. Uh, but he caves quickly when Lin tells him that he will need their help in finding Korra. Lin theorizes that Korra is being kept underground in the maze of tunnels beneath the city. And after a moment of thinking, Mako exclaims that he thinks he knows where Avatar is being kept. Before they leave, Lin muses to Tenzin that wherever Korra is being kept, there's a good chance it's the same place her missing officers are. And Tenzin tells her to bring them all home. That moment is really fun, actually, where Tenzin's like, Lin, you're supposed to be in the hospital and kids, you're supposed to be in jail. I, I very much enjoy J.K. Simmons' performance. I've said it once, I said it a, say it a thousand times. His performance yes. as Tenzin is spectacular. It's a delight. He's not afraid to get into that like goofy Ang kind of like space, but he still somehow maintains that like nobility that Tenzin so naturally has. Yes. It's really cool. Team Avatar explores the city with Lin and Tenzin, finally discovering a tunnel with Lin's seismic sense. Asami notices the way Mako takes the lead in the search, as well as his single-minded determination in finding Korra, and becomes a bit bothered. She asks Bolin for his perspective, asking if he thinks Mako likes Korra more as a friend. Bolin answers awkwardly and is finally forced to admit that, well, he did catch Mako and Korra kissing after the tournament. Um, And of course, Asami is shocked and angry to hear this, uh, but her reaction is interrupted when two equalist motorcycles enter the tunnel. The group hides and watches as the cyclists trigger a secret door, opening a new passage in the wall of the tunnel. After the passage closes again, Lin uses her metal bending to open the lock on the other side, and the group follows the motorcyclists. I really like how they were following Bo Lin and his mm-hmm. s- sense of smell, like he's some kind of dog, about where to go. <laughs> I was like, this <laughs> smells kind of familiar. And Lin was like, oh, for the lava. And then just metal bends her boot off and just does this very dramatic me- seismic sense. And it's yep. like, it's, it's down there. Yeah, it's this <laughs> way. Her. It's this way. The team finds themselves in a large underground facility filled with equalist vehicles and motorbikes. Three equalists load a tram with boxes on the other side of the cavern. Sneaking past them, the group takes an empty tram and sets off down a tunnel. On the other side, Lin uses her seismic sense to locate her imprisoned officers and goes after them. But there's a moment here we need to talk about because Mm -hmm. they take the tram through the tunnel, but when the tram comes out the other side, it's empty because they hopped off and hid in the tunnel. And we see two equalists and I heard a thing. Mm -hmm. And I think Greg's going to tell us about it. Yes. Yes. Tell us all about it. Uh, that's Brike, both of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I love it. And they were talking about that on the commentary. And I had to like kind of go back because they weren't the commentary in the DVD so far has been not as action packed, let's say, as mm-hmm. what was with Avatar Last Airbender. So there are times where I'm just kind of like, you're just chit chatting with Janet Varney. And that's fine. And that's really like interesting to listen to, but it's not relevant to our podcast. So I had to go back a couple of times, but. They were like, they, they said in their own words, voicing these two characters was a callback to the end of Avatar The Last Airbender, where uh-huh. they voiced the birthday Fire Nation soldiers. Remember oh, that? that's right. Yes. <laughs> the captain, remember my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like, it's kind of a callback to that. And they said that they love 
voicing the dumb characters. Yeah. In the series. Yeah. And I just, when you go back and you know that it's them, you can kind of hear it a little bit, even though one of them is like putting on a kind of a voice like this. I'm it's pretty just, sure that's Mike. Because yeah. I think Brian's tree blocker was nicknamed the sassy tree blocker. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's man. So it's so good. I, I love it. When I heard that, I had to go back and watch that scene and it yeah. killed me. They did a really good job, though, because it doesn't, <laughs> do. it doesn't sound like them because they're putting on the, um, you know, the dramatized voice for the characters. But when you know it's them, you you can pick up on it. Yeah. They also had a point they wanted to bring up where they have not great dialogue where they're like, yeah. oh, this tram's going to the prison and this one is going here. And they point, they stopped and they pointed out that like, sometimes you just need a guy that says where things go just so <laughs> the audience knows what's going on. Uh, so Lynn goes off and finds her officers. Mako, meanwhile, is desperate to find out where Kor is being kept and he holds one of the equalist guards up against the wall under the threat of fire. The guard tells him that they don't have the avatar and that the equalist never attacked City Hall. When she returns with her officers who have sadly lost their bending to Amon, Lynn confirms that she scanned the entire area and didn't find Korra. When Mako asks why Tarlock would make up a story about being attacked, Tenzin realizes that Tarlock is the one who abducted Korra all along. Uh-oh. 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 They finally realize, though. They finally yes. deduced who the real bad guy is in this scenario. At that moment, the alarm sounds, forcing the team to make their escape back up the tunnel. Bolin uses earthbending to cave in the tunnel behind them and delay a tram of pursuing equalists. But Lin spots the, the lieutenant in a small chi blocker army at the other end. She quickly bends a metal pipe down from the ceiling and uses it as a rail to launch them up through a hole she makes in the ceiling. They land in another tunnel, this one empty, and are able to get back to the surface. Just a nice, exciting chase scene with yeah. really cool bending. I actually wondered what they would have done if Lynn hadn't been with them because Lynn was really like the hero in this whole escapade. She found the hole with her seismic sense. She metal bent the cell open to free her soldiers, her officers. And then she metal bent a pole down and opened up a hole in the ceiling to help them get out of the tunnel that's filled with chi blockers. Like if she yeah. hadn't been there, they would still be outside looking for the tunnel. I found this very interesting. This is something I've been chewing on for the past week or, week or so. Mm -hmm. In a world where they live in a mostly metal environment, mm -hmm. they've come to rely on metal bending a lot more than any other element, it seems. It does I seem. I feel like Lynn was 110% the hero, and that was the, the point of the, all of this, right? It was mm -hmm. to show how awesome she is and how amazing she is and how much she's learned from her mother and like how just superhero Lynn she is. Yes. But I could, couldn't help but wonder if they could have done the same thing with, with earthbending. Mm -hmm. Because it was ultimately Bolin's like they were doing all this metal bending and all this stuff. And I remember thinking like, why don't you just earthbend a hole? And then Bolin yeah, does. Yeah. Okay, okay. So it's it's just interesting. This we, evolution of bending is is my point where yeah. the newer ones are getting relied on a bit more unless they get outlawed. Right. Whereas the older teachings are kind of less useful now and are used more for sport and entertainment. And I find that super interesting. That is super interesting. And the fact that metal bending is used so predominantly in their society really 
links up with what we were talking about when we first started Cora with the industrial revolution happening in this world and everything is, um, uh, you know, mechanized and orderly and we have city planning and we have like this metal bending police force. Like everything is very much set up to support metal bending as being like the primary bending style. But to go down that path that you just opened, yeah, let's say they found the the hole. They could have just earthbend under the door. They could have just earthbended through the wall to get into the cell, like open up a path that the officers could have like gone out the side in. Um, they could have done a ramp that we've seen Toph do a million times, a ramp up to the ceiling and have a hole in the ceiling. So that is interesting. And also, isn't Lynn both an earthbender and a metal bender? Yes. I th- I mean, I think you have to be an earthbender to be a metal bender. Yeah, but I'm realizing I've never seen her earthbend. She always metal bends. If first. she has, it's not jumping out to us at this yeah. moment. Like yeah. that's how predominant she is with her metal bending usage. Uh-huh. Uh, and and again, like they live in a city of metal. Like why yes. wouldn't they? Right? Like it just mm-hmm. it's practical. It's the Occam, Occam's razor of solutions right there. It's mm-hmm. just the path of least resistance, like, sure. But, like, I just had this, like, vision of Toph bending a huge bit of earth as, like, an elevator for all yeah. of them and just keep on going down, 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 or up, up, up. Exactly. It's very yes. interesting. It's very cool. It makes me wonder how much Toph started using metal bending when she settled in Republic City. That's a good you know? question. Yeah. She founded the Metal Bending Academy in the police. Yeah. yeah. Did she end up using metal bending more through her adult life the way that Lynn is? Or did she keep it pretty even? I wonder because all metal benders can earth bend, but not all earth benders can metal bend. But I wonder if you get out of practice with earth bending and if you rely more on metal bending. I, I really hope that whatever happens with avatar studios i think Uh we're getting an adult ang or adult gang thing movie thing whatever yeah i hope we get to see that i hope we get to see they they touch even just like a little wink and a nod or something just give me something to chew on with this because that's super interesting it taps into both the character development that we know and love from avatar as well as the world building that we know and love from brian and mike yeah yeah I hope so too. Meanwhile, in the mountains, Cora witnesses Yacon's trial in her vision. The prosecution's argument outlines that the control Yacon has had over the criminal empire through the use of his ability has been illegal for decades. And he's been using bloodbending to achieve all of his success. The defense counters the argument stating that bloodbending is not only rare, but it's also impossible to perform outside of a full moon. And Yacon was supposedly witnessed performing the rare ability on every day but the full moon. When the time comes for sentencing, Councilman Sokka explains that throughout his life in travels, he has encountered many unique benders. He mentions Sparky Sparky Boom Man, or Combustion Man, mm-hmm. and how he was able to fire bend with his mind. And he also mentions Toph's own discovery of metal bending. Sokka explains that there was a time when such skills were believed to be impossible, and yet the skills were just rare. Therefore, it is with this knowledge that the council believes Yacon is one such unique bender and that he is found guilty of his crimes, which carries the sentence of life in prison. Outraged at the loss of the trial, Yacon's defense attorney crumples up his notes and throws them on the ground. But Yacon has a different reaction. He slowly stands and without needing to move his limbs, blood bends the entire council. 
Even Toph and Aang are unable to do anything to help because when they try to, Yakon overpowers them all. While being handcuffed. While being handcuffed. Just. Scary. We've only seen bloodbending happen with the appropriate hand gestures and movements uh-huh. and forms. This is not happening. It's seemingly with his mind. Yes. Which also supports Sokka's observation of there being just unique vendors that can do things that you would previously think is impossible. Yes. Also, uh, this is where I have to say Mm -hmm. uh, Sokka's boomerang was mentioned. So we have a boomerang um, cameo here, not physically, but by mention. Yes. Thankfully. Thankfully. Um, Speaking of mentioning, there are two voice acting credits right here. Yes. And I think that's going to be it for this because the, everyone else's re- recurring characters. Uh-huh. The defense attorney is voiced by Maurice LaMarche, who people will know from Futurama, Disenchanted, oh. uh, The Simpsons, Powerpuff Girls, was also the brain in the Animaniacs from Pinky oh, and the Brain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a big one. And Sokka is, or I should say adult Sokka, is voiced mm-hmm. by a comedian and a uh, show host Chris Hardwick and podcast host as well. Uh, he oh. did the show At Midnight, uh-huh. which was kind of like a game show. My wife was like obsessed with it when that was airing. Yeah, uh, The Nerdist podcast, which has now been rebranded to the ID10T podcast, and he did The Talking Dead for quite some time as well. Wow. Okay. Which, when I heard it, I was like, okay, that's Chris Hardwick. And then I kind of like thought about it. And I, I visualize what that casting process must have been like because you have to get yeah. like that Jack DeSena kind of uh-huh. tone to you. And he kind of does have that a little bit naturally. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a, a pretty good replacement. I, I have no problem with any of the adult replacements except Aang. That was just kind of bland. Aang was a bit of a stretch for me. But, but Toph sounded just like what I would envision mm-hmm. a grown-up Toph to sound like. Mm-hmm. And, and Sokka too. And Sokka too, yeah. Yep. He even hammed it up a bit. He's like, with my trusty boomerang. And at first <laughs> yes. I thought that was bad writing. And then I was like, no, he's loving his new title here because it's almost like a um, a birthright for him to be yeah. in this council, which is yeah. really cool, especially if you think about like all the comics and stuff and what his dad, uh, the position of power his father had. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. So he's I just... Liked- I love that Sokka wound up there. And I think you're right. I think that him being on the council, and I think I also saw um, in the wiki that he was also uh, like leader of the Southern Water tribe in some way as well. So he had two roles. Yeah. It's very much him. Like, I'm glad that he wound up and wound up there. Yeah, it's really cool. And then mild spoilers. I think this is the last time we hear from Sokka. I think. That's so sad. And Well, until our Avatar Studio stuff. Yeah, which I wonder <laughs> if they're going to cast the same voice actors that we're discussing in this episode. Oh, uh, I doubt it. Yeah. Because Chris Hardwick got canceled, so I, I highly doubt it. Oh, true. So I would imagine now they would probably try to get the proper... True. It'll be interesting. All yeah, I know is they sure. do a really good job casting voices. So whatever they come up with, I think it's going to be good. They've always just hit the nail on the head mm-hmm. like with casting. Like I've, I've not had a bad taste in my mouth from any performance in anything Avatar The Last Airbender related. Tenzin, Lin, Mako, Bolin, and Asami arrive at City Hall to meet with the rest of the council and Chief Saikon. When Tarlock arrives asking if they have news of the Avatar, Tenzin accuses him of being the one who kidnapped her. 
Tarlock naturally denies the accusation and maintains that the Equalists were the ones who took her, even in the face of Tenzin's other accusation that Tarlock planted evidence. Tarlock doesn't budge with his stance, but an unexpected witness pop pipes up. His counsel assistant appears on the second floor and tells the group that they saw Tarlock placing Cora in the back of a truck on their way out of the city hall. Lynn asks the assistant why they waited until that moment to disclose this information, and the assistant reveals that they were terrified because Tarlock is a bloodbender. Not only that, but he used bloodbending to subdue and kidnap Avatar Korra. Tenzin demands that Tarlock tell them where he took Korra, but Tarlock instead bloodbends the entire group into unconsciousness and flees City Hall. It takes some time for them to wake up again, but of course, once they do, they regroup and go after Tarlock, hoping to find Korra. I love that they finally gave a purpose to the valet. Yes, yes. And I'm not even sure like what their their true title is. They're like assistant to Tarlock, but they're also kind of like a page, but then they're also yeah. kind of like uh, what you just said. A, yeah, a like little, a valet. A it's valet. Like a, a little bit of everything, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I do love that they they played a, played a role after being like in the scenes this yes. whole series. Yeah, it was really cool that this character finally was able to have their moment. And Mm -hmm. be brave and not because like we've only really seen them be kind of cowardice and submissive. And Mm -hmm. uh, finally, they couldn't stand by anymore and spoke up at just the right time, too. Mm -hmm. Which is really cool. Yeah. I will say there is one thing about this scene. It kind of bothers me. It wasn't as clever as I was expecting it to be from Team Avatar. When they found out that it was probably Tarlock, I was expecting or I thought it would have been more interesting if they had like tailed Tarlock and followed him out to the cabin or done something a little more sneaky Mm. instead of coming in and being like, it was you all along, which just puts Tarlock in the position of being like, no, it's not. If it wasn't for the assistant, it would have been a he said, she said, or in this case, he said, he said. And they wouldn't have gotten anywhere. There's no cleverness. There's no like sneakiness. Maybe, maybe. And Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. Like the original team avatar would have had this whole crazy elaborate Ocean's Eleven style (laughs) thing. Yes, yes. But they don't have a Sokka. Mm -hmm. They don't have an ideas guy. So they're kind of working that against them. Also, Lin is with them. Who can, I would assume, using seismic sense, be able to tell when someone's lying anyways. And yet she hasn't said anything about that. Well, because I think it's very obvious because he was like, I didn't. No, I I told you what happened. He was not very convincing anyways. Um, I was more annoyed that this whole scene could have happened without them discovering that Tarlock was behind it all in the cages. Mm -hmm. Where was the valet 20 minutes ago Mm -hmm. when they were there at first questioning Tarlock? Uh, when he was getting healed. Uh, by the way, I missed this. There was a waterbender healing Tarlock. Yeah. It was a dude. Yeah. It's the oh, first time we've seen that. that's such a good point. Uh-huh. Yes. It's which, usually been uh, women or, or women-facing yep. individuals. Yeah. Which has been, which was the whole point of the plot in, um, of course, I'm blanking on the title of the episode, but when Team Avatar goes to the Northern Water Tribe yep. and Katara learns waterbending, um, it was incredibly established that healing was a quote unquote female role. Yes. And that was challenged by the end. And so this is just another example of 
how over time that has continued to change and evolve. And now it's more of a role, genderless for anyone mm-hmm. who wants it versus just something that is more a female oriented. I really, mm-hmm. I really enjoy how they do that. They just mm-hmm. pluck it in there. And if you find it, you find it. If you yeah. don't, you don't. But it adds so much more depth and so much more evolution to this world, which is, I, I just appreciate all the time. But yeah, but anyway, like, where was the valley there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that was where also, I was annoyed. It's also just the structure of the scene, too, because it's like they appear and it's like, haha, it was you. And then it was, no, it's not. Yeah. And then from the balcony, aha, it was him. And then, and then <laughs> yes. him being like, ah, drat, knock you all out, run away. I'll get you and next time, <laughs> yeah, team exactly. Avatar. Yeah, it was. It felt a little, it felt a little like Scooby Doo, a little, yeah. a little on the nose, a little too surface level, not like clever or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's fine. It's not Bryke's finest moment in writing for sure, yeah. but yeah. You know, they have less episodes to work with. And they have, which means they have less time. So maybe, I don't know. They're also like, every time I try, I've been trying to be less negative about everything. And I've been trying to put myself into Bright's shoes uh-huh. and like, think about all of the, because this, when they're working on this, has not been released yet. So all of that expectation, all this, these mental hurdles and gymnastics, they have to put themselves through yeah. just to get anything out. And they also have to always <sighs> double double check themselves. So they also have to edit and make sure because they don't have as much time. And you know, you know, all these things factor into what we get. But at the same I time, and, 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 and I know, you know, and you know that I'm also disappointed in some aspects of this series. Not mm-hmm. many, but some because we've been treated so well in the original series that whenever they take a shortcut like a Scooby-Doo like confrontation scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We know that's not Bryke's potential and we know yes. what could have went down. So we can't just help, but like, think about that. Think I about know. that alternate but world if... where they had a full series run and they could do everything they wanted to do. I think that is my only thing. I'm enjoying Cora, but I think I keep seeing the potential of what could have been Yeah, after watching Avatar The Last Airbender so many times and doing yes. deep dives about the show on the podcast. It's just, I see the potential and I wish we could access that alternate dimension mm-hmm. where Mike and Brian had all of the funding and all of the green lights and all of the team to bring this idea to life. I will say this, the pressure's definitely on for them with Avatar Studios and they have to know it. Yes. It's been so long since this series came out. It's been 11 years. Yeah. And that was really the, I mean, not including the comics, that was the last that many people knew of from this mm-hmm. world. Netflix yep. maybe also maybe has some expectations to live up to, but we'll learn about that on February 22nd when that comes uh-huh. out. Uh-huh. Looking forward to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm worried, but it's fine. <laughs> Fine, we'll be okay. It's fine. This is it's fine. fine. This is fine. This is fine. It's cool. It's all good. They have a decent cast for the most part. So. The trailer looks good. We'll it see. looks like a trailer. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't worry, everyone. We are going to be covering we the live be. action yes. Netflix show on the podcast all, or on YouTube. We were talking about, you know, maybe doing like a reaction series. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. see. Anyway. 
Cora goes deeper into the vision and witnesses Yacon escaping by forcing Toph to hand over the keys to his handcuffs with bloodbending. With his arms free, Yacon is able to knock out the rest of the hall, leaving only Aang conscious. Yacon lifts him into the air and laughs at his helplessness, telling the Avatar that Republic City is his and that he will be back one day to claim it. With that, he tosses Aang against the stairs and flees the building, taking an ostrich horse-drawn carriage for his escape. Back inside the building, Avatar Aang enters the Avatar state and chases after Yakon using an air scooter. Which, in this scene, if you if you listen closely, it's his theme. It's the original yeah. like Avatar yeah. Last Airbender theme, which it's I loved. So cool. Also, him snapping, Aang snapping into and out of the Avatar state is scary as an adult. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just weird, like, snap that happens. Because when he did it in the original series, it was like a Super Saiyan power-up kind of. It was a lot more uh-huh. fluid, a lot more like... He just kind of becomes overcome with this power, and now he can control it. He's an adult. Uh-huh. He's, what, 40? Um, mm-hmm. And so it's not just like this emotional thing. It's just like a light switch. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit spooky. Uh-huh. It's, it's a bit scary. I would not want... Avatar State, Avatar Aang coming after me looking like that. I I have to go back and like I've watched this episode four times and I, I always try to make a point to see and my brain tells me that there's a specific sound bite or sound effect that they play when he does it. And I don't uh, know if that's true or not because I keep on getting like washed up, not washed up. I keep on getting like wrapped in this moment of like foop, snap. Mm-hmm. But like, there's this very specific sound that I can hear in my head that happens with it. And yes. it's... No, it is something. Yeah, for sure. Aang comes tearing down the street after Yakone, and he airbends the carriage onto its side, forcing Yakone to jump out and face him. Yakone bloodbends Aang to stop his attack, telling the Avatar that this time he's going to put him to sleep for good. He uses bloodbending to levitate Aang, contorting his body violently. And this is, goes back to what we were talking about before, where we haven't seen any counter to bloodbending so far. However, just as Aang is about to be mortally wounded, he enters the Avatar state once more and breaks mm-hmm. the hold that Yakone has over him. He earthbends Yakone in place and takes away his bending for good, which was very smooth too. There was no struggle. Yes. And we saw when he was a kid, when he was yeah. doing it with, um, with uh, Ozai, mm-hmm. it was just very, you know, one, two, done. Very decisive, would you say? Very decisive. I love that. Yes. He didn't hesitate. He didn't think about it. He, ju- I think he thought about that as he was chasing him. If, if yeah. I were to headcanon this, I think in his mind, he was chasing him in the Avatar state and he was just like, okay, if he tries this one more time, that's it. Yep. And then he does and he goes, okay. Foop, foop. I subscribe to yeah. that headcanon. Yep. It was wonderful to see. Like, mm-hmm. That's his character arc completed right there. It is. Yes. Insane. It's actually going to be a little bittersweet knowing that and then going back to a younger version of Aang. A little bittersweet, I think. Mm -hmm. Where it's going to be great to see the gang and they're going to be a little bit older than we saw them, but still younger than in this. But Aang is still going to have a bit of that decisiveness issue, I think. Because it was never truly solved in the comics. Yeah. It was set up. Yeah. And I think this is, it's interesting to see because he was still, it was like maybe two years. We talked about this in the episodes, but it was like maybe two or three years after the series through the comics 
And now we're looking at this big jump to yeah. him being 40 years old, like full grown adults. So there is a lot of room in there for more character development for Avatar Studios to explore. But you're right. It's going to be interesting to kind of step back and see more of the development of it for him. I also had this thought, too, as I was watching this episode for the last time. This time jump and how large it is, is working against break. Because mm. if you if because we had the large break in between, it took me a little bit like of a running start to get back into the series. And I was yeah. wondering why that was. And it's because up until now, or even this episode, the first half of this season is just world building and letting us know what we missed. Right. And that's not as interesting considering Avatar The Last Airbender, while it's known for its good world building, is also really well known for its great characters. And one kind of came at the cost of the other. Now, the world building in Korra is great, but that balance is off, and it's because they have less episodes. We already touched Mm -hmm. upon that. But that's... And it's funny, too, that the Avatar is all about balance, and they (laughs) lost their balance. It is funny. (laughs) You're right. The ratio feels different. The pacing and and like the focus on plot versus character does feel different from the original series. And yeah. once again, I guess whenever this comes up, it's it's always going to circle back to well, they were pressed for time, they were pressed yeah. for budget, they were pressed to uh, make a statement with this first season so that they could be uh, greenlit for future seasons. But I wonder if they had a smaller time jump if that would have worked out just as well for them. Like instead of being you know, focusing on a generation of the original Team Avatar's grandchildren. It could be mm-hmm. younger children. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, kind of hang a little a little earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is horrid to say. Well, it's, it's making me curious how, like, 10 years down the road, mm-hmm. the world of Avatar is going to feel with more shows and movies like yeah. when the canon is filled up with more time frames covered story-wise is Korra going to fit better oh that'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. because that is has always been my issue is i wasn't ready for the big jump yeah when i first started watching Korra, i was like whoa this is weird it was like culture shock for me and then all the things about the pacing and like the characters and the the world building i was like okay this is very different i don't know if i'm ready for this but if down the road after Avatar Studios comes out with a couple more um, shows and movies and fills out the world and the characters more, I wonder if this is going to fit better. I feel like it might. My gut is telling me it will. Mine too. Because it, it did fit a little better with the comics. Yes, like it, it exactly. It softened our blow, right? And exactly. That would lead me to believe yes, but I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic just yes. in case. I know. Me too. <laughs> At least we have an entire studio dedicated to Avatar. So there's less of a chance of them doing what every other uh, company has been doing recently, which is, you know what? You had a great first season. We're going to axe the rest. Anyway, as Korra's mm-hmm. vision comes to an end, she finally understands that her visions were Aang's way of trying to warn her about Tarlock all along. Tarlock returns to Korra's cell and blames her for his life being a disaster. Korra taunts him about his blend-bending secret being outed and tells him that she knows he's Yakon's son, which is how he can blood-bend without a full moon. Tarlock doesn't deny her accusation and states that while he was his father's son, he has had to become something else in order to win over Republic City. 
He believes his father failed because he tried to rule the city from its criminal underbelly. And so Tarlock knew that in order to succeed, he had to become the city's savior. And his plan was perfect too until Cora interfered. If it weren't for you youngsters and that meddling dog. (laughs) Polar bear dog. (laughs) When Cora tells him it's over and he has nowhere to go, he replies that he in fact does. He's going to make a new life for himself and Cora will come along as his hostage. But when he climbs the stairs from the basement, he finds Amon, three chi blockers, and the lieutenant waiting for him. I do appreciate how Zhao-esque Tarlock gets. Like yeah. one thing goes wrong in his plan. It's a large thing, but it's one thing and he just unravels. Yes. <laughs> his hair is a mess. He doesn't care about anything anymore. Uh-huh. He's running from the law. Like he's just, he couldn't, he can't be bothered to like think of a backup plan. He's got the one yeah. and that's it. Amon tells Tarlock that the time has come for him to be equalized. Unfazed, Tarlock retorts that they've never faced bending like his and blood bends the chi blockers and lieutenant to the ground. Amon, however, remains standing. Mm-hmm. Tarlock stares at Amon in shock as the masked man approaches him. Tarlock attempts again to control him with blood bending, but all that happens was Amon's stride slows briefly. Horrified, Tarlock asks Amon what he is. Amon simply answers that he is the solution. Amon restrains Tarlock, forces him to his knees, and as Cora listens from the basement, takes his bending away as Tarlock screams. Um, so the horror of Tarlock being this really incredibly strong bloodbender just got completely obliterated by the fact that Amon just faced a bloodbender, walked on through it, and then still took this man's bending away. It was the scariest break in his stride for a moment, too. Because he goes, he's his yeah. foot is up, and then he's supposed to be paused, but he's kind of like, there we go. And he's not, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is because there's no hand movements. There's no nothing. He just continues. Which kind of goes back to what we've been talking about this episode with mm-hmm. what is the counter to bloodbending? And as you all know, Greg and I are coming back into Korra relatively new. We've seen parts of it in the past years ago, but we don't remember very much. So this is kind of like a, like a rewatch for us as well. I cannot help but see and wonder about the parallels between Amon and Avatars because of his ability to take away bending with energy bending and his resistance to blood bending, which we just saw happen with Aang when Aang entered the Avatar state. Yeah. So I think contextually, storytelling wise, that is the parallel that's made here, which leads us to question, who is Amon? What is Amon? And why is he different from everyone else? I know the answer to all those because they, A, I kind of remembered and B, they spoiled it on the commentary. (laughs) Oh no. They're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, (laughs) and like, I all of a sudden I remembered the finale and the final scene. And I was like, oh yeah. I went into like, like Aang talked to me from beyond the grave. (laughs) I went into a meditative state and Aang was communicating with me like that. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So I know what the answer is. Uh-huh. Uh, I will say that uh, without spoiling anything, your theory was a popular theory uh, uh-huh. when this was airing. A lot of people were like, is he an avatar? Is it remember Aang? That. Like, is mm-hmm. it, like, did he, is he still around? Like, did I, Aang enter his Sith arc? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of stuff like that going on. I feel like someone might've thought he was maybe 
Zuko or of that bloodline. Yeah. There's so many different theories going going on because it's a wonderful mystery. Yes. For sure. Yes. Very um I, I love Amon as a bad guy. I mean, we've yes. talked about like Long Fang yeah. and we've talked about Zhao. We've talked about all of our favorite antagonists. Amon is up there for me. He's oh, yeah. properly scary and properly smart. It's his calmness. Yeah. Above all that just it's stirring like it's just we have not had a villain like that Mm -mm. in avatar the last airbender like not i can't think of a single one you know someone's probably like well it was so and so and and like maybe that's true but i remember hama was not that way yeah um i remember Zhao was like that way half of the time and then unraveled (laughs) very quickly yeah. Of course. Ozai. Like maybe Sozin to a degree. Maybe. Sozin not- had all of the emotion boiling beneath the surface. Yes. You can still see it. Amon yeah. is just it's just it's a stone cool, cold, calm, yeah. frozen lake. Uh-huh. It's insane. Amon orders his men to take the avatar and tells them specifically electrocute the box that she's in first as a safety precaution. Okori hears this and quickly takes off her bracers. By the time the lieutenant arrives and does as Amon ordered, Kor is safely hanging from the metal grate in the roof of the box by her bracers to avoid the electrical current. To lead them to believe they were successful, she fakes a cry of pain and then lies on the ground of the box. Now, do we want to talk about the science of this? Yes, but first I want to talk about a behind the scenes thing here. Yes, uh, okay. They had Janet Varney do two takes of this. Uh-huh. One where she was actually getting electrified mm-hmm. and the other where she wasn't. Uh, and then she said there wasn't a difference. <laughs> what? Like, it's, it's just the same scream. Where Like one where she's getting electrified, one where she isn't, but is pretending to get electrified. Yeah, and it sounded the same? Yeah, she. well, maybe I'm mixing it up. I think the truth is they asked her to do it and yeah. she said it's the same thing. So I don't, it was unclear oh, if there was okay. a different recording. But she was like, there's no difference for me. It's going to be the same screen, I which see. I thought was pretty I funny. Uh, but yes, this is all unnecessary. I mean, I'm not an electric seziologist. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real word. <laughs> um, but there's a thing called a Faraday cage. Yeah. And my understanding, which is very elementary of a Faraday cage, mm-hmm. is that if you are surrounded, if you're in a car, for example, you are surrounded by metal. If metal, if if lightning strikes the metal, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Again, I also have a very elementary understanding. But when I saw this, I, I geeked out for a little bit. So I'm like, oh my God, this is really cool. Yeah. The whole concept of Faraday cages is that you, when you're inside of something that is consistently conducting electricity, it doesn't hit you. It continues to conduct in the structure that you are in. The Faraday cage can be an actual box. It can be a bag. Um, authorities it has to will be use metal, though. I'm yes, pretty sure. Metal. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, authorities use these metal uh, mesh bags to put like um, phones and electronics in that are evidence to keep it from being tampered with. Like that's technically a Faraday cage too. Yeah. So yeah, it it wasn't necessary. Um, and I wonder. It makes me wonder if Mike and Brian realized this when they were writing it. Or they, they if, do they do not. I I think because they yeah. didn't even mention this in the commentary. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so it must have been interesting. Interesting. Hmm. My head cannon. Yeah. 
Korra is not like the brightest avatar to have ever existed. <laughs> so we blame it on the character. <laughs> I think that she was just like, they're going to like, it's a brilliant maneuver. If yes. it weren't for this whole Faraday cage yes. scenario. So I think she was just acting decisively, instinctually, uh-huh. um, and tried to get herself out of what, you know, the danger. Yeah. We could also, no we could also, bend it a little bit and be like, ah, maybe, maybe uh, we can bend it a little bit uh, and maybe Faraday cages don't work when it's uh, electricity in this world. I don't know because bending works differently because that, if that's the case, then Amon maybe. didn't realize either. Amon didn't realize that it would There's have no effect re- either. I can't talk about it. There's a reason kind of. Okay. He, he was otherwise uh, distracted. Oh, Okay. I don't want to say more. I don't want to spoil it for you. I want you okay. to find out okay. naturally. Um, but I can see why he made that mistake. And I also, see. he didn't... He just told them to, like, get her, essentially. Yeah. And the, the, the top is open. It's like a cage. Right. He, he maybe thought, stick your baton down in the top yeah. and, and zap her. Yeah. Not... Okay. So it's the lieutenant. The lieutenant's the it's idiot. It's the lieutenant's the idiot. <laughs> well, also Cora a little Cora bit. Cora a little bit. A little okay. bit. Anyway, we're going way, way deep down this <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> hey, the lieutenant was just out of his element with all this electricity. You can't uh, blame him. I'm going to sit on that one for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. I know. It's shocking. I know. Uh, <laughs> When the lieutenant opens up the box, Cora, who has now lay on the ground to act like she was actually electrocuted, uses firebending to knock him and the other chief lockers back and then earthbending to briefly incapacitate them. She rushes up the cabin basement stairs, bursts out the door and finds Amon loading Tarlock into the back of a vehicle. The two stare at each other for a stunned moment. Fearing capture again, Korra waterbends a volley of icicles from the snow to give her enough time to escape. She races for the edge of the mountain with Amon hot on her heels, but the masked man stops after she goes over the side. A moment later, the lieutenant reaches Amon's side and Amon reprimands him for underestimating the avatar. Thought I told you not to underestimate her. <laughs> Is that line? Yeah, that's so a scary angry. line. I'm <laughs> so mad. I loved it. But going back to what we said, just said about Amon's character, you could tell how mad he was and how in trouble the lieutenant was. Cora slides down the mountain, dodging trees and rocks along the way, but catches her foot on an exposed root. She tumbles end over end and finally slides hard into the trunk of a tree, knocking herself out. She's soon found by Naga, who has been tracking her, supposedly, this entire time, and climbs into the saddle to be brought back to Republic City. I'm a little bothered by this. It's a little uh, deus ex machina, like, oh, the polar bear dog was there the whole time in the background. She's the bestest girl. She is the bestest girl. And of course, she was able to track Cora across all of Republic City and the mountainsides. But at the same time, it was just very convenient. Very conveniently timed. I think Cora has a very distinct smell. (laughs) Not in a bad way. (laughs) But like, I would imagine, I mean, she's... I, I don't imagine hygiene to be like of the utmost. What are uh, you saying? <laughs> I think she's a little stinky, but in a good way. Like, like she's not like Asami. And I feel like yeah. a lot of people in Republic City are probably a little more like that. Yeah. Granted, there are 
rougher parts of the area. But like she's fresh from the water tribe. Uh-huh. So I imagine what? her scent is a lot easier to pick up for Naga yeah. than But I hear you saying is she has essence of jock. Yes. <laughs> she's a little stinky, that's all. You know, she's uh-huh. a, she's an athlete. Uh-huh. So she's probably got like, for lack of a better term, maybe a little bit more of like a musk about her uh-huh. in that regard. Also, <laughs> also, Naga wasn't super far because Naga dropped her off from at the um, courthouse. Yeah. And then she was taken away. So it's not entirely like ridiculous to think that Naga would go back to there, pick up the scent and then just follow it the best she could. It's the fact that it happened completely off screen with no indication that it was (laughs) happening other than a brief mention (laughs) of, oh, we need Naga to find Korra. And Tenzin's like, I don't know. The polar bear dog's missing. Like, that was it. That was all we got. Yeah, I I can see why that would bother some people, including (laughs) you. It didn't bother because it hits my it hits my soft spot. For yeah, like, you know, yeah. my soft spot is she's the best girl. girl. She's the, the found, goodest girl in the world. Yeah, found her person and saved her. Yeah. I know. Sure. I'm just... Give me all of the plot holes you can. But if <laughs> they put that in there, um, it's just like paving right over it for me. I know. I'm nitpicking. I'm sorry. Any, okay. viewer, any listener who's listening going like, Acorn, calm down. I know. I know. I'm nitpicking. I mean, that was me on many episodes anyway. So I, I yeah. completely understand. But um. She's just the goodest girl. The series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She is actually the goodest girl because when she gets back to her public city, she starts howling and yeah. asking for help, which leads Tenzin and Lin and Mako and Bolin and Asami to find them. Tenzin and Lin, of course, being you know a councilman and a chief of police, immediately begin questioning the exhausted Avatar about her escape. You know, where'd you come from? Where is Tarlock? You know, what? Tell us all the details. But Mako pushes past them and pulls Korra from the saddle. He carries her in his arms past Asami, who watches with furrowed brows. Mako tells Korra how worried he was and asks if she's okay. Korra smiles back at him, telling him she's fine and that she's glad he's here. Mako lays her down in Ugi's saddle and brushes her hair out of her face. He gently strokes the cut on her cheek and reassures her that she's safe now. The end. There's a couple things that... I couldn't figure out where to put in our synopsis. So I'm just going to uh-huh. do what I usually do and just grocery shopping list them right now. Sure. Um, this is the first episode where Milo makes an appearance and his sisters do not. Yeah. Assertive Milo. Do you know what time it you is in the morning? Idea? This better be important. <laughs> I had a nightmare. I had a spooky <laughs> dream. Uh, this is the first time that the city hall council room is seen with an audience present in the flashback. Oh, yeah. For the trial. And there was a scene that was cut that involved Lynn encountering some former subordinates in Republic City. And she's going to go jailbreak Cora's friends. And they were going to try to stop her. And she was just going to intimidate them. And there's going to be this really goofy kind of moment. Interesting. So it was more like Lynn throwing her weight around saying, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go do this anyway. Uh, And maybe her... I, I think I would imagine if this like ringing a bell in, in the commentary, which I didn't take a note on this part, but I think uh-huh. she was just going to like look at them. Oh, yeah. And there's like, okay, you can <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which would be so cool. Um, but I think that's it. Very nice. Yeah. We got to see our gang as adults. Mm-hmm. 
We got to see uh, really spooky Amon moments. We got to see Tarlock get taken out. And also Tarlock is now bendingless. Yeah. So all he has left is his ability to lie. So yeah. we're going to see where that puts him in the story. And we learned more about Yakon. Yep. We actually got a name for Yakon, kind of. Uh-huh. So many things in this episode. So many things. Yeah. Most importantly. Uh-huh. Who was your MVP, Greg? Naga. She's the goodest girl. Naga. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> She's the goodest girl. She stuck it out through all of the smells and found her her smell. Avatar Studios will release the uh, the little mini show of Naga going all throughout Republic oh, City in the mountainside so. looking There's for Korra. There's so many little moments that we don't get to see that yeah. I wish they would just make an animated short for or just something. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. so cool. My MVP is Lynn, Lynn Beifong. Yeah. She's amazing. And she is so strong of a character. And she also, like we said before, yeah, yeah, yeah. They could have done everything with earthbending, but she still got them in and out of that place, saved her officers, all with metal bending and smarts. She's mm-hmm. one of those characters that like, if you were to try to make that into like a TTRPG, you'd be overpowered. But like in this is just so delicious and so perfect. And so like, it's what you need for this group. Yeah. She's kind of like the Zuko kind of in that way. Yeah. I it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. What about the moral of the episode? Uh, the moral, I mean, if you want to know what I learned, I learned more about Faraday cages. That's not a moral same, necessarily, same. but that's something I learned a bit more about. A takeaway, if you will. I think there is, in all seriousness, a very clear moral that this episode is trying to present. And it's that there's always something to be learned by looking at your past. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not technically Korra's past, it's Aang's past, but Aang is yeah. Korra and Korra is Aang in a weird avatar-y kind of way. Yeah. Um, but there's always something to be learned and to be gained. Um, when you meditate on it. Mm-hmm. That is essentially what I got from it yeah. as well. Hey. And it's it's fun because we have, there's so many morals that we have discussed that come from this show that deal with the past and looking at the past, learning from the past, not allowing the past to repeat itself and being aware and that sort of thing. So it's nice to see the consistency at least where even though we've gone from after the last airbender into Korra, we still have similar morals that we're getting out of the story. For sure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's by design. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is it, everyone. That is today's episode. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our silly bickering and <laughs> talking <laughs> about the story. Uh, we always have fun. So we're, we're so happy that you're here listening. And remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and you're looking for some more fun, you can always join Acorn Bandit over at twitch.tv slash Acorn Bandit, where she exclusively plays Minecraft, as far as I can tell now. Just We're, we're a Minecraft channel Minecraft now. Bandit. <laughs> it's going to be the yep. new name at some point. Doing a lot of really cool stuff. I don't understand any of it because I'm old and I don't play Minecraft. <laughs> um, much to my community's dismay, I get asked constantly if I'm going to play Minecraft. Uh-huh. I'm too busy shooting zombies or something. But it's always, it's very interesting. It's it's a much different looking game now than what I remember. Yeah. Uh, and you make so many cool stuff. So go join her, twitch.tv slash acorn bandit on days that end in Y sometimes. <laughs> yes. 
Specifically Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Oh, you're on your I didn't even realize you had a schedule now. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that's I'm a schedule that we things. stick with. Good. Uh-huh. Monday, Wednesday, Friday is 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. there. And if you can't find me, and if I'm not live, head over to twitch.tv slash booster greg on Mondays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Not Wednesdays. Not Wednesdays. Never, never Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Don't worry don't, about what happens. Don't ever on look. Wednesdays. Yeah, don't ever look for it. Nothing. No. Mm-mm. Mind your business about Wednesdays, okay? <laughs> Head over there on Mondays and Friday evenings to see whatever shenanigans Booster Greg is getting up to. He recently went through this entire Alan Wake oh, lore run. So good. That lasted weeks. And I always loved popping in, even though I have no idea what's happening. See, oh. wait, here we go. I have no idea what, ha- what the Alan Wake world is. I just know it's linked to control and there's yep. some weird, funky story stuff. Uh, happening. I have no idea what's going on, but whenever I hop in or hopped in, you had some very interesting things to talk about. You were finding all kinds of things about the story that were so interesting. We had been playing since like August, all of the Alan Wake games. It was insane. It was too much. I should have just done a podcast is what I should have done, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Still time. No, I get too many podcasts. I have this. It's too many podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) And Alan Wake 2 is your game of the year now, yeah. isn't it? Oh, by far. And that's taking yeah. over Spider-Man. And I wow. love Spider-Man too, but Alan wow. Wake 2 is my game right now. Mm-hmm. We want to take a moment too to thank you all for sticking with us uh, mm-hmm. for the continued support on Patreon, uh, all the new subscribers on YouTube, all the new followers and subscribers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. We're in so many different mm-hmm. platforms. I can't even keep them all straight half the time. Um, I also want to thank everyone who's been leaving comments. Um, over on Spotify. It's been every day there's been a new one and they've all been super encouraging. Uh, I do want to say, mind your text to speech because we got to, like, you can approve them or delete them. So I deleted them. But there was a couple that was just like, tell them I'm going to the grocery store. And that was the comment. (laughs) Oh no. Like, I feel like I'm just going to delete this one. Uh, That's probably okay. But just mind that, you know, just mind the buttons you're pressing. And, but we do appreciate all of it and we can't wait to finish this season with all of you everything greg said mm-hmm. thank you so much all right everyone we will see you next time on avatar, avatar the, the podcast. podcast that was not bad for such a long break that we had yeah. avatar the podcast is a proud part of the geek generation network Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.